as, as many of you know, if you've been coming here uh, on Sundays, uh, I've alerted you that usually um, my sermon has to pass the first reading with my wife, who I sit with and I share with her my ideas, and then she gives me the you know, green light, yellow light, red light, and we talk about it. And her, her parting comment was, uh, it's almost like you have two sermons in one. And that's it. I'll be <laughs> out. Um, so I want to keep this really, I think, uh, manageable and compact. Um, because at the, at the bottom, whenever I, I'm up here sharing with you, what I'm hoping is you're walking away feeling encouraged that God loves you, that he's with you. Um, but also, I don't want that to be a communication based on sentimentality. I want it to be based on something real, something that's challenging, hopefully, your spirituality, the way you see the world. Right? If there's no sense, no honest faith, it's complacent. It just sits and believes that I've arrived and I know everything. Rather, you challenge yourself and you're exploring your ideas, you're exploring who God is. And if you do that, seeking truth with integrity and honesty, the promise is God meets you there. You experience his love and your life is transformed. That's the promise. In fact, on a day like today, all saints, that's uh, what we celebrate. That's what we honor and remember. That the, the Christian church, God's love for us, for a community, has been true for 2,000 years. And it has been well, a long history. It's been a sordid history, right? You know, if you open a history book, it would be uh, all too easy to point where the Christian church has been fallible and, and done extreme wrong, the opposite of what Jesus would call us to do. And yet, if you're also approaching it with fair-mindedness and integrity, you'll also find the lives of people who have done incredible beauty, who have done wonderful things, and hopefully we hold that in a balance and aim our lives to follow those who have done the good. Is that fair? I hope so. And so today, um, the two sermons becoming one, I'm actually going to do something that I, uh, I don't think I've ever done here at St. George's or ever in my life, but I want to focus on the psalm today. You notice that we had a psalm reading, we read it responsibly. And when I read it for the first time preparing for this Sunday, it really struck me. And if you have your bulletin ready, you can turn to it. It's, um, it's verse 10 in the psalm reading. And it says um, something about the young lions not going to hunger. Is that, is that true? Am I not accurate there? The young lions, something like that. I don't know how to memorize this. Sorry, I should. Uh, can someone read it to me, actually? The young lions suffer. Yeah, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I remember I read that and it really stood out to me because that seemed to me obviously false, right? On, on a certain reading, you read that. Um, if you've had your own journey of faith, right? I think, you know, the longer you have a journey of faith, you look at your life, you're like, there have been times actually when I've experienced loss and want. Or maybe you have friends who've had a journey of faith. Or family. You've seen them go through really hard times when they didn't have what they otherwise needed. That's just honest. And then you read that, and then those who follow the Lord and have lacked no good thing or something like that. What is he? What's going on there? Now, it's not in the bulletin. If you open your Bible and go to Psalm 34, there's a little uh, preface to the psalm. And it's attributed to David. And David um, is a very important figure in ancient Jewish uh, history, mythology. Uh, he was um, 
uh, an important king in the history of ancient Israel. The story of ancient Israel is actually a big part of the Bible. It's a big part of the Christian faith, the Jewish faith, obviously. Um, and it's the longest recorded story of that time in our history, recorded history. If you want to go to that era and find a longest story of any one person, it's going to be David. And so the Bible has a very long tale. And he is this song, he wrote it. And it says, if you read the preface, it says he wrote this when he had to feign that he had lost his mind when he had been captured by a rival king. And I'll, try, and I'll give you the story in a nutshell. Nutshell. David, um, uh, he was a, an important king, but he wasn't born of a noble family. David was born from a, a regular farming family. He's the youngest of like eight or nine brothers. I don't know. And when he was an adolescent, a very important man, a prophet, came to his family, anointed David's head, the youngest of his family, and promised that God had said he would one day be king. Right? Then you fast forward a little bit in the story that his nation, the nation of Israel, is fighting a war against a much more advanced and powerful army, the Philistines, and they, at the, the forefront of their army, they have a giant named Goliath, taunting them. And he was, he was offering, as it was customary in ancient combat, that instead of two armies going head to head, that Goliath, that giant, would step forward as a champion for his people and say, you bring one of your champions, we'll fight one one and the winner will be victorious for the whole army, and the one who perishes will then ensure the losing army are our slaves. Right. White Way sold his life. Let's do one-on-one -on -one combat. Right? The winners are the winners, the losers are slaves. And the whole, because he's a giant and mighty warrior, the nation of Israel, all the army was terrified. They, no one was going forward. It was almost like for like several weeks, the giant kept challenging them. No one came forward until little, probably 12, 13-year-old David shows up bringing the materials for the older brothers who are fighting. He hears the taunt and he says, how is no one standing up to this giant? We, our God is a true God. We should all be very courageous and go up there and fight. And so he decides, he tells his king, King Saul, he said, I'll go out there and fight him. I'm a shepherd. And when a lion and the bear came to take my father's sheep, the Lord is with me and I slew them. And just like I slew those animals, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to take care of that giant for you. And incredibly, the king agrees to that. But David goes out there. He has a battle with this giant. It's an incredible drama. You should read it for yourself, but I'm going to spoil it now. He wins. A little slingshot. He takes the giant down incredibly, takes his sword, head off, lifts the head. He's a champion. And from that day, David's star is rising. As he gets older, he joins the army of the king. As he's in the mid to late 20s, he's a commander in the army, and he's famous. People write songs about him because every battle he goes into, he wins. He's a warrior of warriors. And he's so popular, he's best friends with the king's son. And David is so popular that the king, his king, grows to be afraid of him and hates him and actually plots to kill David. So David has to flee for his life. And he flees and it goes kind of wrong and he ends up in the military camp of the, op of the, of the Philistines, the, 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 their hated enemy. He's caught. And in that moment where he's caught by Achish, the Philistine king, David has an idea. He's going to pretend like he's lost his mind. He starts dropping saliva on his, on his mouth. He starts writing on the door wall. He just acts like he's not really there. And the, the Philistine king looks at him, because of course he's been captured, 
The king says, why do you bring me this, this fool? Do I not already have enough fools? Get him out of here. And so David escapes with his life with just a sliver. He could have just died there. But he's cast out. And after that scene, that moment, David writes this song that we read today. That might not seem like it. That's really weird. I want you to think about this. Because he wrote that, that line that, that Andrew just read, right? But those who follow the Lord lack no good thing. What just happened to David? He was at the height of his career. At the height of the nation. Famous, powerful, right? Doing everything right. He couldn't lose. In a moment, he lost his reputation. The king of his country is trying to kill him. He ends up in an enemy camp. He almost loses his life. But even though his life was spared in that moment because he had a little strategy, the king wants to kill him, which means he's going to be killed. Right? If the government wants you dead, you're going to be dead. I think we know that, right? I don't want to be too depressing, but that's realistic. But in that moment, where basically there's a death sentence on him, David sits down and he writes this poem. Blessing the Lord. I always praise the Lord. Yeah, young minds go hungry, but those who follow God, they don't lack anything. He's writing that. How could he write that is the question. Right? Is, is he actually, like, has he actually lost his mind? Is he deluded? Right? Well, it'd be tempting to think so, except that centuries later, his descendant, Jesus, we call the Christ, we read his, uh, his wisdom today. Jesus sits down with his followers, and then what does he say? He unleashes probably the most famous moral teaching in the history of history. In the Christian church, we call it the Beatitudes. And he starts pronouncing, blessed are the, what is it? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are these people. Blessed are the people who are struggling, because they're going to be blessed. Right? Over and over again. The whole list. I'm not going to read it out to you. We just read it. And then at some point, he gets to the bottom and says, blessed those who are persecuted for not my name's sake. Right? In other words, Jesus also says, like David, you're going to have hard times. But in the midst of that hard time, you're actually going to be blessed. Right? How does that make sense? I don't know about you, but often when I'm going through a hard time, I don't, my first thought isn't, oh my goodness, I'm just so, I'm so blessed. I feel so good. Well, I'm struggling. Well, my spouse is really sick in the hospital. And my parent is passing away. And my finances are shut. Wow, man, I feel great. Do you guys do that? I don't know. That's not my first inclination. But here David is the same as. And Jesus, God, is saying, yeah, that's the way to be. What David did in that poem, when he was writing that poem, that's true. And, and he's saying it's not delusion. It's not delusional. He's saying you are blessed in the middle of your pain. How does that make sense? <clears throat> Well, I think the answer begins to be revealed to us in our first reading today, the reading of Revelation. It's a very mystical part of our, uh, the Christian Bible. It's at the very end, the final book in our Holy Scriptures. And it's basically a vision that a saint, St. John, receives from God of the end of time. 
So it's a very mystical uh, book. And I'm not saying that we should read it and sort of interpret it very literally, but what it is saying is conveying a truth. And when we heard it read, when Jane read it, we saw that the nations of the world, all people, gather around the throne of God. And it says that something occurs, something so beautiful at that moment. God is present with us that the healing of the nations occurs. Tears are wiped away. In other words, the history of the world, human history, is resolved in that moment. And all the pains and all the struggles that you and I have gone through, the hurt that's been visited on us, and if you live long enough, people sometimes hurt you, and then they die, and they never say I'm sorry, and you're just stuck with this unresolved tension in your life that you just have to live with. All of that, it says, it doesn't stay unresolved, but at the end of time, God will be there, and that part of your life that hurts will be healed. And that future healing, that, that, is, the, that is the Christian hope. That's why David could write that poem in the midst of the, probably the hardest moment of his life, where he almost lost his life, he has lost everything, and he's probably, he is sure he's going to be killed by the, by the king. At some level, he's like, well, the king wants to be dead. This is, time's up. And yet he's praising the Lord. Why? Well, in his story, like I mentioned earlier, when he was uh, probably 12, a prophet named Samuel, a really important guy in the Bible, comes to him secretly because God sent him there and he anoints him. So he pours oil in his head and says to him, in this little family ceremony that no one else really know about, you're the next king. You're going to be the next king. And David believed God. I've been given a promise that at some future, no matter what goes in my life, that's going to occur. So he was given a promise. And then he goes out there shepherding the sheep, and a lion comes, and he's thinking to himself, this lion is at the end of me. God has promised that I'm going to be king. He defeats the lion. A bear comes. This bear cannot be the end of me. I know I'm going to be king. A giant from the opposing army is coming at him. This should be the end of me, but no, I'm going to be king. This is not going to happen. The king of his own nation says, I'm going to kill you. And David must be thinking, this is terrifying. My own king wants to kill me. And yet... God has promised I'm going to be king. I'm going to trust God. God has been faithful in my life. This is not the end. Praise God. The lions might go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord lack no good thing. In other words, the hardship he's going through in his life doesn't determine his destiny because his destiny has been determined by the promise and the will of God. In other words, the future determines your today. Have you heard that? Hopefully, because I've said it at least once before. <laughs> your future determines your now. That's the Christian hope. That's how Christians are meant to exist, right? Do you see how that's true? I'll give you an example. Here's one. Imagine two people. You can be one of the two if you want. Two people are invited to do, uh, have you ever done uh, ditch digging? Have you ever, I, I did that. I worked in a uh, labor crew. It's a horrible job to spend all day digging ditches. It's backbreaking, your legs, your arms, your whole body is on fire. All day, just doing that. It's horrible. If you're in a crew, that's the worst job you can get. So you're a ditch digger. And someone says, the next year, this is your job. Two people get that job. The one for the first person says, this will be your job for next year. And at the end of this job, you'll receive basically minimum wage. That'll be your salary. 
right? Pay your bills. Good luck. The second person says, you will also be a ditch digger. And at the end of this year, you get $100 million. That'll be your salary. Tell me, who's going to have a who's going to have a good time every day as they're ditch digging? One person's going to be miserable, just dying, their body bursting, and their soul crushing. The other person, right, digging because they know, hundred mil at the end of this year, right? They could have the credit card bills, sweetheart. We're in the red right now. Doesn't matter. Let's go to the keg. We're going to be fine. Don't even worry about it, right? You wouldn't worry financially. Just, just didn't because at the end, it's secure. That future is determining today, right? And as a Christian, the hope is Jesus says to you, yes, you're going to be persecuted. Yes, you're going to go through hard times. Christianity is very realistic. There's no sense in saying you follow Jesus and things are just something going, woo, it's fun. No, you still suffer. You still go through a hard time. But the Christian also understands, hopefully, this is temporary, and the suffering that I go through, the hardship that I go through, does not have a last word on who I am in my life or the meaning of my life. The love of God has a last word on my life. And that word is a word of love, of affirmation, that the things you have lost, you can work really hard and have an amazing reputation with David, and one wrong word tears it down. You can build an incredible career. You make one mistake, you lose that career. You can spend your whole life, investments, a wealth symbol, whatever, trying to make money in one wrong move, you lose everything. Financially crippled and you can't make out of it. Everything you have in your life, you can lose. The only thing you can't lose is the love of God. And that is offered to each one of us if only we accept. And once you have that, does it mean you don't suffer? No, but it relativizes the suffering, right? So a Christian cries, we weep when we hurt, but we don't despair. When hard moments come, when I lose my family, of course I'll be sad. It hurts. I think about them. I know it's not the end. Death is not the end. Death is only a door. When the Christian walks through that to a new and better life where everything you've lost is given back to you and it is more beautiful for having been lost and found again. The saints of the church have understood that. David understood that. Jesus is telling us that. Now it's for us to receive that. and Hopefully we can understand it. And we can accept that. Because it will transform your life. You will turn into a kind of person. See, all of us are on the knife's edge. That when we go through suffering and hurt, if we don't have deep resources, we turn to bitterness and then we deflate. Right? Unless you have a resource that can carry you through suffering. And the best one available is Jesus Christ. His love, his love. It's true love. Only person to ever live who was murdered by the government and came back from the dead. If a person can resist death, that person, when they promise you I'm going to be with you, you can believe it. So the hope is that you graft in your life with the life of Jesus, trust in him. Right? That's the all saints message. That's the point. Do you want to learn more about that? Well, we grab a coffee and talk about that. We also talk about it every Sunday, so you can also come back. Right? Today, today, this morning is a window. It's the possibility of a better life. I hope that you are curious. I hope that you take the first step to explore what that actually means practically in your life. That's what we do here.
But most importantly, I hope that you're getting a sense that God loves you, that you're not alone, that your life isn't meaningless. There's a purpose for your existence, and I hope that you can find that in Jesus, because that's what you're meant to find. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, uh, we give you thanks and praise that uh, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our loneliness, you don't ignore us, you don't leave us alone, but you come to us. You draw so near in the person of Jesus. And as often as we forget you, as often as we ignore you or try to push you away, you're always there. You never judge us. You're never um, giving up on us. We give up on you. You don't give up on us. God, I pray that each person in this room, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, might turn to you uh, in a new way, maybe for the first time, to hear and receive your gift of uh, joy, of love, of hope, of peace that might heal our lives and help us to love the world around us. This we pray. In the name of Jesus.